Real Photo Show is sponsored by the Charcoal Book Club, a monthly subscription service for photo book enthusiasts working with the most respected names in contemporary photography. Charcoal selects and delivers essential photo books to a worldwide community of collectors. Each month, members receive a signed first edition monograph and an exclusive print to add to their collections. Uh, so Charcoal has had uh, some delays, and I wonder if it's related to the... Uh, what was it? The ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal. But uh, there are two books on their way, so it'll actually be kind of nice. I'll get uh, two books probably very close together. Uh, Shikawatari by Chiko Shirashi and Anaglipta by Nick Waplington. Apologies if I'm mispronouncing any of those names. Uh, so as soon as I get one or both of those books, I'll do a preview of them and post them on the Real Photo Show YouTube channel and IGTV at Real Photo Show. So check out charcoalbookclub.com to become a member and get these books automatically, or check out the shop and see uh, what books you can still purchase while they are still available. Welcome to The Real Photo Show, and for those of you uh, who may have noticed that it has been, I think, about a month since my last episode, maybe a tiny bit more, uh, that's because I just needed a, a little break, a little a breather. Um, I know many of you are also enjoying photo work with Sasha Wolf, so thank you for that, uh, but I wanted to rethink this show a little bit. Uh, it's been six years since I started this show, and I thought maybe uh, it was time to think about what else uh, I can do. And I realized, you know, from the those six years that the, the two things I really loved talking about were, you know, artists' successes, books, shows, things like that, but also teaching. I've had a lot of guests who also teach photography, who were involved in academia in some way. And uh, I thought, well, maybe I could combine those two things. And, and that's what I'm going to do for a while. And we'll see how it goes. Each of my guests will get a, a series of questions and we'll go through some or all of them and maybe even more than that, uh, depending on how the conversation goes. And those questions will be, who were your teachers or mentors? How do you balance teaching and making? Who do you see as getting hired in your field? Uh, where does photography or art situate in terms of uh, importance in your college or university or school? Uh, who are the students that you serve? What's your favorite assignment to give? And then a kind of general pro tip. And that pro tip can be from teaching or photography. And uh, I think it'll be fun. It'll be fun to have a kind of set series of questions and get different responses from different guests. And we will also talk about the things uh, I've normally talked about, and that is someone's latest book or someone's latest show. And I think it's a, a nice blend of the two things that I really do love discussing. And I hope you enjoy it. My first guest is India Beale, and I don't think I could have asked for a better first episode uh, in this uh, slightly altered format. So uh, India is a North Carolina-based artist, curator, author, educator. Her work merges fine arts with social justice. She uses photography and video to reveal the often overlooked and unappreciated experiences unique to people of color. Specifically, India's first monograph, Performance Review, which we talk about on the show, brings together work from over a 10-year period that highlights the realities and challenges for women of color in the corporate workplace. She lectures about these experiences, which also addresses bias in corporate hiring practices. And, of course, I will ask India the questions that I just mentioned, and it is a fantastic conversation. So without any more delay, thank you all for listening. Uh, welcome back, <laughs> I guess, to me? No, I don't know. <laughs> all right. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. We will talk soon. Dia Beal, thank you for doing this. Oh no, thank you. It's great. Yeah, um, I know it. Uh, it took us a little while to uh, to get our dates together, which is fine. But originally, you know, we were gonna obviously have you on to talk to you about your book. But <laughs> in the time that I was doing all the scheduling, I also decided I wanted to do um, you know, I wanted to change the show up a little bit and also talk more about teaching. A lot of my earlier guests were from the academic world, and uh, and we used to talk about teaching a lot, and then um. You know, it kind of became more general, but I, I really like 
talking about teaching. And I just discovered that you taught at a community college, which is uh, near and dear to my heart. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So uh, welcome. Why don't we, um, why don't we start, though, by talking about your book? And I'm holding up to the camera like the audience can see it. <laughs> I just realized what I was doing. Look, here's your book. Why don't you go check it out? It's uh, called Performance Review. And I have to say, it's one of the smartest books I've flipped through recently. I mean, it's really just so well organized and laid out and, of course, important. And, um, I mean, what was the experience like making it? You know, um, my publisher would say that uh, making a book is kind of like making a whole nother body of work. Right. Like mm -hmm. it's kind of I mean, really, it's really a whole experience, even though you're using work that you've made over these years. And for me, work that I made over a 10 year period, uh, working with Minor Matters, uh, Michelle Don Marsh, who is the co-owner, founder, publisher for for Minor Matters, uh, really making that book was really kind of like making a whole nother body of work. Um, I, ha I had to think about the work differently because you're putting it in a different form than photography or video. And so how do you translate all these experiences over a 10-year period in um, in a book? Yeah, I, I, I agree completely. Uh, I, I think anyone I've ever spoken to who has a book will will say just the just the idea of selecting the work is so different than if you were to select work for a show. Um, or, you know, just like making a list of your favorite photos. It doesn't work like that yeah. at all, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the sequencing. Sometimes you sacrifice something you love for oh, something no, else because it works better. <laughs> <laughs> Choosing your children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But so, I mean, it's broken down into some really interesting sections or chapters. I don't know how you refer to them, but, you know. Uh, am I what you're looking for? The mock interview, office scene, and can I touch it? Um, and I might be missing one or two in there, but I mean, those are the sort of the general breakdowns. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of designed it in the day of the life of a black woman, right? So it starts with the kind of pre like preparing for your interview. Like what people do to prepare. Sometimes you might research the end of person that's going to be interviewing you, but a lot of times you're thinking about how am I going to look, right? How am I going to style my hair, uh, my clothing? And I think for women of color, that has become a much more critical thought process because you know there's a possibility you may be judged based on those kind of superficial things. And then it kind of goes to the interview and then daily microaggressions that many women of color have endured over the course of their professional career. So each kind of microaggression, whether it's can I touch it or a nine to five, these interesting experiences that um, that women, women and women of color have had to um, go through. I think one of the, the strangest cultural phenomena with white people is the idea that they have some kind of permission to touch black women's hair <laughs> it's and i know it's i know it's been around a lot longer than it's been in the news and the media and made fun of on tv and all that kind of stuff but but it, you know it is it is such a, a a bizarre notion a bizarre idea and i'm sure it has terrible a historical sort of precedent as, you know, the idea that someone has ownership of your body, right? Mm -hmm. No, definitely. One of the, the, you know, the interesting things about um, the way you set up this book is it, it starts off with, you know, am, am I what you're looking for? It is quotes from black women in the sort of the corporate world, the corporate space. And there is so much about, you know, referencing how you look. Um, which is why the title is so good, you know, not just am I what you're looking for, but am I what you're looking, seeing, right? Yeah, for, yes. Which is, is, a, is a great title. But then in the, um, in the mock interview and the can I touch it sections, it's white people. It's white men being uh, presented with discriminatory questions, questions that you might face, right? Right, right. So, so, so am I what you're looking for specifically are actually students, uh, oh, many of many okay. of them, yes. So many of them were my students uh, when I was working at the university, oh. and uh, my students were coming to my office not to talk about their academics or to talk about what happened, you know, on the yard or whatever. Uh, there were questions about interviews. You see, many of them were seniors. They were going into their uh, careers. And they said, you know, I went, Professor Beal, I went to this interview, and someone asked me, how many children do I have and how old are they? 
Wow. You know, or I went to this interview and someone asked me, do I normally wear my hair that way? And mm. so um, in that moment of feeling as though for many of the students that they were being judged, not on their resumes, but on, um, on super, like I said, like their clothing and their hairstyle and things like that. I said, you know, why don't we make some work together? And so am I what you're looking for? All of those women had not entered the corporate sector yet. And so mm-hmm. they were preparing to go in there. And so I think that's that's the main reason why we chose it for the first and kind of opening of the book is because it's all about preparation. We think about our own culture, our own identity, or what our parents told us to do in order to prepare for these opportunities of employment. I think many parents are kind of guiding that. And so I photographed the students in the home they grew up in. Their parents were there. Because oh, most okay. of the time, um, this is this is the home that, you know, even if they moved off and had an apartment, I didn't photograph them at their apartments. I photographed them at their home. So it fa- I found myself all over North Carolina photographing these young women. Um, and I met their parents as well. So I think as, a, as an educator, as an artist, it was really wonderful to actually, as a professor, to be in the homes. You normally, as professors, we don't get to see our students' homes, right? No, uh, no. So, <laughs> so to be in their home and, uh, and meet their parents, um, you know, it just really added a lot of value to the work. The setups you did look like workplaces. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. 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 So I brought, a, I brought a backdrop to the home. And that, that hallway is actually the hallway where I started working in my first corporate space. Where, oh, I, was, wow. where I was othered. And so, um, so I brought the backdrop to the home, and I said, you know, tell your mama we're moving the couch out the way, and right. uh, and I set up. <laughs> and I think as a photographer too, it was just really interesting because I didn't know what to expect, right? Yeah. Like you go into these spaces and you, I did, you know, you've never been there before. So some people had <laughs> large living rooms where it provided a lot of space, and others you went into and you're like okay, there are no lights in here. There's no windows. How can I make this work in this space um, that their parents have allowed me to come in and basically rearrange their living room furniture, you know, <laughs> to set up a backdrop and lights in the middle of their house, right? <laughs> so, so, yeah. Well, what's crazy is that sometimes it's, it's obvious that you have uh, a setup and sometimes it doesn't look yeah. that obvious. Like sometimes it just blends in, right? I think because also because you're 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 concentrating on faces and body language and the portrait yeah. of it, right? The portraiture, and then and then you just have to step back and look and say, oh wait, there's 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 backdrop stands, there's yeah. right, yeah, yeah, <laughs> nicely done, really Thank nicely you. done. Thank yeah. you. I mean, it was it's preparing for the performance. No matter how we try to um, shape it or form it, when you go into your interview, you're performing. You're, you're showing your mm-hmm. professional self, which may be different than how you are with your family and your friends. And so for the students, it was preparing them for the performance. What if you go to an office space and you're the only black person on the floor? What if you go into an office space and you look around and there are no women? How would you feel in those moments? And, uh, and those kind of conversations took place while we were taking the photographs. Yeah. And I, I should back up and say this this book comes out of personal experience. Right. I mean, you start with your own experience in the, um, I think the second sort of introduction or essay yes. to the book, mm-hmm. right? And then there are the the, the, the mock interview with white uh, male students then? Are They're they students too? They're also students, too? yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At a university. Um, you know, interesting enough, when people think about issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I actually say diversity, equity, inclusion, and I add an R, so relationships, which mm. I think is very important in terms of building upon just diversity in general. We think it's a black folks thing or a woman's thing, right? When we think about DEI, well, really, it's a human thing. And so it, it adding, you know, white men, white women to these conversations that are talking about employment discrimination among African-American and women of color in particular um, really just kind of adds to the human aspect of the work. And so um, these individuals, the white men and women, allowed me to make them the other for just a moment to understand and create yeah. empathy and vulnerability for the audience. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like when... When someone sees, you know, like, like Kamala Harris becomes vice president, and someone says, you know, I have daughters and I'm so glad they get to see that, but also sons, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's, it's good for our sons to see mm-hmm. that as well. The, and then um, the office scene is an interesting section in the book because 
it actually comes from a video yes. you made, right? And so it's more stills from yes. the video. Mm -hmm. You must have had to really think about how that would work in the book, right? With your editors and the publishers. Definitely. So when we were putting the book together, that was one of the big challenges is how do you translate a video <laughs> into a book form? <laughs> And, uh, and and even when I made the video, um, I wasn't thinking about steels at the time, right? Like thinking about this is going to actually be this two-dimensional object. I was thinking more in terms of film, like what the videos were going to kind of, how they were going to exist. And so, you know, my publisher and I, Michelle, I, I mentioned her earlier, Michelle Dunn-Marsh, and I really went through, there are different versions, right? So when you're building a book, um, and I would say this book took two years in the making, uh, and when building the book, there were a few versions we went through through and said, does this deliver? Is it doing exactly what we need it to do? And uh, and in the end, we realized maybe even just putting the words and the text on top of that kind of intro image, which is my face, my mouth, right? Where I'm actually talking about, and it's kind of like spoken word where I'm preparing myself for this experience that's going to happen with my coworkers. Uh, we decided to put that on top of, to kind of layer the text on top of the image in order to kind of have mm -hmm. the effect that you could possibly see this mouth moving. But in many ways, you're just reading the text to go along with the video. Yeah. Yeah. And then the... Um... The can I touch it? Are these are uh, friends of yours, uh, colleagues of yours, that basically white women with typically black hairstyles, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So some of them were colleagues, like coworkers, you know. Um, others I didn't know from Adam. I'm from the South, so that means I didn't know them at all, right? And. Uh, oh, I and, <laughs> uh, you know, and I met them, some I met on the street, some were referred to me. Um, but initially, when I started the project, they were coworkers. So the experience of asking your students these questions and the experience of the hairstyles on these women, uh, what was that like? Uh, you know, as, as an artist, I always say that, and I use artists and photographer interchangeably, um, and mm -hmm. some people don't, but I, I consider myself an artist. Um, as an artist, I would say that if you're not growing, right, if you're not taking risks within your work, for me, it's like, why am I making it? And so there's always a level of discomfort, like I'm uncomfortable in certain moments, even making the work, not necessarily knowing exactly how it's going to turn out in the end. Um, and there's something about that growth that happens along the way that's so critical uh, to the work that you're making. So for instance, with Can I Touch It? I didn't know exactly how I was going to pose these women. I knew that I wanted wanted them to take corporate portraits. I came in with certain ideas of what I thought they were going to think about the work. Um, and in many ways, I was wrong. So for instance, at that time, I was about 28. And I assumed that these white women had no idea what I was talking about in terms of having to alter yourself to fit into a space, a corporate space that was never designed for you to thrive in the first place. I was wrong. Hmm. Not only did these women understand, but they had their own experiences and their own stories, their own testimonies, which they shared with me over the course of taking the portrait. And so, like I said, I think as, as a maker, we should always, and even as an educator, you know, we don't all have the answers. It's important for us to allow room for growth and development through our process. Um, I think that the, sometimes the process is actually more important than the final product. Oh, I agree. Especially... And we'll get to it at a community college oh, yes. level, too, because we're not making finished artists, finished yeah. people in a community college. It is a foundation. And uh, I often say there are times where teaching photography is so secondary to just helping students to become more serious about their education mm -hmm. and uh, believing mm -hmm. in themselves and, and mm -hmm. all those things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, what I really love about this book, besides how smart it's laid out, is um, it's it is art. It's a social document. It's also a bit of a sociolo sociology experiment. Oh, yes. Right? A sociological experiment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. yeah. It's all of those things, which is why it's so wonderful. So congratulations. How's it doing? And did you get any chance to promote it? Uh, so we're almost sold out. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Oh, that's, oh yeah, I got mine. Yours. We're, we're <laughs> almost sold out. Um, we're actually working on the second edition. Uh, the work received. Oh, oh yes. Great. Yeah, it's been wonderful. The, the work has received a lot of really good love. Um, it was on the cover of the Financial Times in London. 
I saw uh, you that. You know, Vogue Italy listed it as one of the top books for 2020. Um, so did BuzzFeed listed it as one of the top books for 2020. We have a number, um, The Atlantic also covered it in terms of uh, the work and, and the book as well. And a few other editors right now are, are in conversation about covering the book. So we've gotten so much love um, from individuals, institutions, um, editorial uh, columns and sections about uh, about the book. So it's, yeah, definitely, truly appreciated. Yes. So then if people do want the book, it's basically they'll need to wait for the next so edition, second edition? I would edition? say depending on when this podcast <laughs> goes live, you know, <laughs> uh, probably. Probably uh, yeah, in a few well, days. Yeah, well, if it goes live in a few <laughs> days, I would say you have some time, so make sure you uh, place your order as soon as possible. You know, like I said, we're finishing up the second edition right now. Uh, but if you want a first edition copy, please make sure you do it. It's on Minor Matters website. You can go. That's where it's uh, where we're selling the book through Minor Matters website. And your website, uh, you can find the, you, can find, you can't buy it on my website, but it'll definitely link you to Minor Matters. There's a yes, link. Yes, right. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah, go to Minor yeah. Matters. Um, let's, let's talk more about your teaching, because uh, it sounded really interesting then when we were, um, when we were talking about it a little bit before the show, you started at a, well, first you're, you're a, you're a graduate from Yale, right? Mm-hmm. I am. And did you do any, um, teaching, teaching, assisting while I you did. were there? I did. I did. Um, and with photo, okay. yes. Was that a big influence on how you teach? Um, no. So I've been teaching before then. Um, so I, so yeah, oh, so okay. before I went to, so I took some time off between undergrad and grad school. And so... Yeah, I did. I did 10 years. Oh, well then, yeah, yeah, you know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I think for most folks, right? Like you mm-hmm. kind of have to figure out uh, what you want from a yeah. program, what you're looking for in life, right? Um, and uh, and all those things become so important to the programs you decide, uh, especially um, when you think about graduate studies. Uh, so, so when I started TAing at, at Yale School of Art, I'd already been a professor for a few years prior to that at the community college before I, um, before I went to graduate school. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So then let's talk about that experience. Uh, let's talk about your, when you were teaching at a, at a community college. How long was that? So uh, I would say my first teaching position happened, oh gosh, the days start to kind of blend. I guess it was <laughs> back in 2009. Uh, and I was teaching, is the program was called Get Real. Real edu- It's talking about just real education. Most of the students, and this, they, this was kind of an acronym for the program, but the, the design of the program was through a community college, which was Davison Community College in North Carolina. And this program was designed to work with students, mostly high school, who had dropped out of um, high school. And they they designed this program. It wasn't your traditional hours. So the students started at like maybe eight o'clock in the morning and they finished at one um, and mm-hmm. allowed them more flexibility, more breaks than I guess a traditional high school um, program w- would be designed. Many of the students uh, came in with a different, di- a variety of issues and concerns that were being addressed through the kind of programming of their educational experience. And so for me, uh, they brought me in uh, originally to do an after-school art program, right? Mm-hmm. And it was three hours after school. <laughs> uh, it was optional, you know? Oh, no. <laughs> so, you know, uh, they didn't have to show up, right? <laughs> and they brought me in. And I'll never forget the first day because I was like, oh, you know, if I don't win them today, they're not going to come back. Like, it's going to oh, be, that's right. it's going to be, you know, uh, they, I probably won't see them again. Mm-hmm. And uh, I gave a presentation of not necessarily just my work, but the work of artists that I admired. You know, even when I was a director at a university, I believed that I had to create exhibitions and I wanted to show the students even at Get Real at that moment in my, in my life, artwork that spoke to their everyday experiences. I wanted them to understand that there are artists in the world who are making work that speaks to exactly what they're going through, like a song or a movie, right? It really kind mm-hmm. of resonates in those ways. And so I showed them the work of Hank Willis Thomas. Mm-hmm. I showed them the work of Roy de Garava. I showed them the work of Deanna Lawson. I showed them the work of um, 
of Micheline Thomas, of Iona Roselle Brown, of Daoud Bay. So I showed them the work of all these amazing artists of color and I wanted them, Nan Golden. So I went, I mean, I, we went through a variety of folks. I wanted them to see all types of work. And uh, I remember uh, showing them this uh, Carrie Mae Weems photograph and I had one of the students read it out loud. And hmm. that particular photograph this black woman is looking in a mirror and it says, mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? And the woman says, Snow White, you black bitch, and don't forget about it. Right? So <laughs> the student read that and was like, oh my gosh, what kind of artwork is this? You know? <laughs> like, they were like, well, first of all, they're blown away that they right. see it, but then they're blown away that I'm bringing it into the class and that it's art. Like, what? And they're like, who is this Carrie Mae Weems? I got to look her up, you know? So. <laughs> So, you know, um, from that experience, uh, the students came back the next day. I didn't lose one. And not only did they come back the next day, the program was designed for uh, five weeks. I think we ended up going eight. Like they wanted more, right? That's it wasn't. Great. It wasn't. It wasn't long enough. And so, from that experience, um, the uh, Get Real program hired me to work with the students full time. After that, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who were your teachers or is there a teacher or a mentor that really stands out to you? Oh, yeah. I had a, a few. I mean, I think about uh, Jeff Whitestone, who's now the director of photography at Princeton, or um, Juan Logan, who was a professor at UNC Chapel Hill. You know, really, it's just instrumental in laying the foundation and believing in my work more so than I even believed in myself at the moment. Mm. You know, I can go back all the way to uh, Miss Thomas, <laughs> who was like my elementary school teacher, right? But I think those individuals who come who come in your life in many ways and just help and guide you. You know, uh, Lenise Williams, who was Professor Lenise Williams at UNC Chapel Hill, she said, you know, have you thought about Yale? And I was like, absolutely not. (laughs) And she was like, you should, you know, Uh, but it's those moments where people come in your life and say, you know what, you have something to offer. You have something that is so amazing that uh, the world needs to see. And it's Mm -hmm. that level of motivation that really allows you to think about the possibilities outside of your own kind of, I would say for me, my own limited mindset of what I could do and uh, and the impact I could make. Mm-hmm. I had a, um, and I, I may have told this already, I had a calculus teacher in high school who always saw me with my camera. You know, I was in the, working for the yearbook, doing all those things, nerdy things. And uh, <laughs> he, uh, I said, oh, I'm going to Lehigh for engineering. He's like, what? Why? Just, no, you know you love photography. Do photography. And I was too afraid to to pursue art at the time and I went to Lehigh for engineering and a year later I was at the School of Visual Arts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mr. Palantonio was right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. How, so how long then did you teach at community college? So I was just there um, for only a year. It was right before mm-hmm. I went to my graduate program. So oh, I, okay. so yeah, so I taught at um I, I taught there for about a year. And then during my graduate program at Yale, I started teaching at uh, the community college in New Haven, Connecticut. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was teaching there too. Uh, and that was more of a sort of a straight ahead program, like just students out of high school? So no, so that was actually adults. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, so a little different. Um, so uh, it was a program that was designed for adults who have been laid off from their jobs. They were looking at getting different positions, but they needed a refresh in English and math and trigonometry. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, um, so I actually taught uh, the English section of, of that particular uh, program. And the mm. thing that was so wonderful about that program is that many of, like I said, many of the um, students were old enough to be my parent, you know, like they had all kind of lived their life, had this wonderful job, were laid off, right? Mm-hmm. And decided to come back to get their education. And so working with them, thinking about real life experiences. I mean, it was after, so I would literally finish my critique at Yale, go to the community college at like seven o'clock at night. Oh yeah. <laughs> and yep. teach this class from seven to nine yeah, know? and then go home. But uh, it was something really beautiful about being with them. And yes. uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I taught a, a night class at Rockland Community College. It was a history of photography class. And it was one of my favorite classes of my history and teaching because it was it was all returning learners, mm-hmm. older adults. Mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, you know, when you have a class that's that's a mix of students, you know, better students bring up students who need more help, yeah. right? And yeah. and they just they raise the level of the class and oh, I yes. loved it. They yeah. ask questions. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, yeah, they're, well, they also know? hold you to account. Oh, they hold you to exactly. <laughs> they're like, no, no, no. I just right. got off work. You're yep. gonna answer these questions for me. Like, so I no, level. I just read that chapter. That I don't remember that being said <laughs> exactly. in that chapter. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> they make you better. They do. Yeah. They make you better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. And that's where I also learned to be willing to hand off things sometimes. Like sometimes I'll be in a class and there'll be a student who's super technical, like like watched all the YouTube videos and, you know, learned how to do some complicated technique or something. And they'll want to show it. And and I've I you know, I learned like, yeah, please come yeah. on up. You know, show that. You know, let let students take some control of this of the classroom let them lead i i find that really wonderful yeah what what you're saying reminds me of a professor that i met while i was at yale and he said to me he said that a lot of times when students come into my classroom many of them have already read my book right (laughs) like they've already studied everything that i've done but what i want them to do in my class is to question everything that i've done the thing is, we're not going to push things forward as educators if we feel like we have all the answers. The idea is that the students should be able to take everything that we've created, the foundation of our practice, and take it forward. And so he always encouraged his students to question everything that he had done, all the research, as prepared as they came. You know, it's, it's really interesting um, just speaking about Yale in particular, and I just wanted to bring this up is the way in which they prepared their students for leadership. You know how you log into your email and there may be questions like, what's your favorite color? Or, you know, what's your pet, your first pet, you know, or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, Yale's questions weren't designed that way. They were designed as, you know, what is your dream car? Or mm. what is your dream vacation? Or if you could talk to someone living or dead, who would it be? Or who has inspired and motivated you the most? The thing is, is that the way in which the curriculum was designed, it was designed to dream. It was designed to think about leadership. It was designed to think about ways in which you could change the world. When I TA'd at Yale, I asked my students, what are you, you know, what are you doing after graduation? They were all starting their own non-for-profits, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, 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 you know, I mean, it was that, but the idea is that the foundation of the education was ge- geared towards leadership. Mm-hmm. It was geared towards taking those ideas and allowing the students to dream. And even as educators, allowing the students to question everything that you do so that they can figure out how they can take it to the next level. Yeah. yeah. Teaching art has to be collaborative uh, experience where you you allow students to to find success through their failures, through mm-hmm. everything else. And to realize that, like I was, I think I said earlier, in in their first two years, this is it's not done, right? right. They're not done. Right. Uh, if you're if you're telling a student their first two years that uh, you're not cut out for this, uh, you're really you're really playing God. Oh yeah. So after Yale, uh, you went, you came back to North Carolina. Yes. And then you started teaching at the four year level. Yes. So I was, uh, it was Winston-Salem State University, which Mm. is in North Carolina. Um, It's an HBCU, so Historically Black College University. I was the director of the gallery, which is the Diggs Gallery, um, and assistant professor of art there for six years. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I run the gallery for my college in Trenton. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, that's where I was just there today, uh, finishing up an install of a show. Oh, then I know what you're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then, uh, you know, how was your experience there? Oh, you know, in many ways, life changing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I myself had never attended an HBCU. 
And for people, you know, everybody asks me, do black, do white people, so HBCUs, just for the people who don't know, because I know that sometimes <laughs> yes, in the Northeast, yes. there are no HBCUs. So I need to yes. just make it clear. So yes. North Carolina has the most historically black colleges and universities in the nation as, as kind of a foundation at a time where African-Americans were not allowed to go to predominantly white schools, uh, PWIs. Uh, HBCUs <laughs> were designed to give Af- African-Americans uh, educational opportunities. So Winston-Salem State was Slater Industrial School. It was founded by S.G. Atkins, and then it became a teaching, school, a teaching college, and then it became Winston-Salem State University. And I would say that most HBCUs are, most, are the most diverse uh, in terms of universities, some of the most diverse in the nation, right? So, yes, white people go there, you know? Yes. <laughs> and teach there, too. And teach there, too, <laughs> right? Exactly, exactly. Um, so, um, so yeah, I mean, I would say that that experience in my life was, was life-changing, you know? After I graduated from Yale, I did a residency in upstate New York called the Center for Photography at Woodstock. Um, This residency is designed for only artists of color. And someone might say, well, why only artists of color? Because the art world is small, but the number of artists of color who get opportunities, a platform to have a voice, is significantly smaller. And so CPW gives artists the platform and the, the support they need to make their work. The Can I Touch It you mentioned before went viral. You know, it was shared thousands and thousands of times. Mm-hmm. And and so after that, I was trying to figure out where I wanted to be. And when this opportunity came about, I, I at first I said, well, you know, I just, I just graduated. I'm not sure exactly what I can provide, right? Like I, as an educator, I, I had to ask myself, I, I mean, I was 28 at the time, right? And wow. so, uh, so I was like, you know, I'm taking on this position as a director of an institution and a professor wow. at 28. <laughs> and I questioned whether I had enough experiences to, to guide my students on how to find their voice as artists. But I realized something. I realized that I had a network going to some of the top art schools, one of the top art schools in the world, I had a network of artists and curators and support that I knew my school, Winston-Salem State at the time, needed, right? Those students needed that level of exposure. And so I took on that position knowing that the students and I were going to grow together. But more importantly, I was going to provide opportunities that I knew my students probably would not get um, chances for. Mm. I would say my ulterior motive is I wanted to make more Black artists. Right. And what better place to do that than at an HBCU? Yeah. Uh, and and that answers another one of my questions. Uh, uh, you know, who who are the students you were serving? And I, I think we we've definitely covered that from the community college through the, mm-hmm. the four year as well. Um, when you were when you were teaching at the community college, when you were teaching at the four year level, what did you see in terms of like, you know, who's getting hired now? And, and you're actually an interesting example of that. Right. Twenty eight and becoming a director. Yeah, yeah. I was I, when I started at Winston Salem State. I was twenty eight. You know, it was it was one of those it was one of those amazing experiences. Also, kind of coming from this kind of Ivy Tower, where I found myself constantly thinking about race, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, working at an HBCU, it was probably the last thought on my mind. It felt like a family in a way that institutions I had worked at before. Um, didn't necessarily feel like that. As the director of the program, I was I oversaw all art at the university. So anytime, the uni- no matter what department decided to do something art-related, um, it went through the gallery first. And so I'm um, also having uh, that responsibility in terms of selecting the artist that we were showing, the programs we were bringing in, the lectures, the symposium, all of that was under the gallery and under my watch. Mm-hmm. And so I was um, very strategic in terms of the type of artist I was bringing to the gallery in order for my students to have exposure. Now, um, I don't know if this, you know, earlier I talked about working at the community college and with the students in high school and how I wanted to show them artists that spoke to their everyday experiences. Well, that same, I would say, foundation 
was important to for me and my vision of the Diggs Gallery. But this time I'm bringing the artist, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes, so earlier right. I was showing them, now I'm you were bringing show- them, you know? Showing images, exactly. now you're showing artists. And now I'm actually bringing the artists <laughs> to the gallery to yes. talk to the students. And so I just think about some of the artists we brought, like, uh, uh, you know, we, show- we showed in the space uh, Jordan Castile, who has a beautiful exhibition at the New Museum and whose mm. artwork has gone on to 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 really, I mean, in many ways, change lives. John Edmonds, who has an exhibition up at the Brooklyn Museum. And I showed these artists early, early in their career. In many ways, I used the Diggs Gallery as an incubator to show emerging artists that were speaking to the everyday truths of my students. And so um, Zun Lee, uh, you know, I really, as an artist myself, I had my kind of uh, you know, ear and pulse and body to the ground, right? Like I knew, <laughs> uh, I knew about these emerging artists. I knew they were going to have a, a an, an enormous impact on my students who are predominantly black. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think, I think one of the things that um, can help you with your job and your own mission is how well it aligns with the college's mission. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I think about that a lot. Like, where where did art situate? Mm-hmm. At Winston Salem, where did you know? How was it considered there? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, Winston Salem as a city is called the city of arts and innovation, so it's definitely at the forefront of conversations. I fortunately I reported to the dean of the college, who was Dr. Corey Walker at the time. And when I'm and one of the big things uh, before I decided to take that position was I wanted to make sure that um, my supervisor at the dean had we had similar thoughts, right, in terms of our vision for the gallery. And I would say that we had parallel visions in terms of what we wanted the gallery to be and the impact that we wanted to have on the university, the community, and uh, the state as well. And I would say that was just the kind of ideal, it's not always the case, right? <laughs> like, you know? Um, and so I was fortunate enough to have a provost, you know, a chancellor, uh, a dean, who all supported the vision that I had for the gallery and for uh, for the community in terms of the impact of art, uh, specifically artists of color. The Diggs Gallery, our gallery was 7,200 square feet. So wow. um, a, a, one of the largest spaces uh, dedicated to artists of color in the Southeast. I'm laughing because I think my gallery is like 280 oh. <laughs> square feet. <laughs> Yeah, ours is 7,200 square feet. Uh, And, um, you know, we also had an extensive collection of artists like Picasso, uh, Jacob Lawrence, uh, Romer Bearden. Uh, So the Hangs, our our gallery was founded by the Hangs family. Um, Hangs Brands, uh, who Michael Jordan used to model for back in the day, you know? Sure. Uh, So Hangs Brands, uh, Gordon Hangs. Uh, decided to dedicate a large amount of his collection to Wake Forest University, to Salem College, and to Winston Salem State University, particularly. And so, when I came on, when I came on as the director and curator of that space, um, I had an extensive collection as well that I had to use in terms of our educational programming. So, um, so there again, like I said, for me, in terms of a vision and foundation for my students, intellectually through art was to create a foundation that allowed them to build upon artwork that spoke to their everyday experiences and more so to expose them on how their voice and their opinions added light, added truth, added value to the work that was on the walls. Wow. You know, I could also see that being quite a challenging task to handle a space that size. You know, the more <laughs> I think about it, the more I get, I, I actually get anxious just thinking about it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a, it is. A, if any if anybody ever has the opportunity to go by, it's one of the most beautiful spaces mm. you'll ever see in your entire life. And and in many ways, yes, there is a, definitely a level of challenge. But I think there's so much possibility. Like mm-hmm. you walk into the space, and it's, the space empty is breathtaking, right? Um, and so uh, to just think about the possibilities in terms of artwork. Um, on the walls wow. just led yeah. to um, a lot of discoveries as well. Yeah. Well, I think I'll be, I might be driving through Asheville this summer. Oh, you should check it out. Yes. I can. will. Yeah. If I could get, yeah. If, yeah. if the kids will go along with me. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, tell them it's, it's a wonderful space. It's beautiful. Okay. <laughs> so um, here's a, a more sort of nuts and bolts teaching kind of question. What, what was your favorite assignment? 
as a teacher. <laughs> as giving an assignment. Yes. Uh, 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 let's see. My favorite assignment as an educator. I'll start with mine and give you time to think. That will be helpful. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love the mimic assignment where a student picks a photographer mm -hmm. and tries to mimic that photographer because, of course, they, they can't, but they end up exploring and doing something new for themselves. Oh, yes, and yes, I, yes. I love the results from that assignment. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's always a good one. I think we used to do we would do that kind of assignment in my course where we would select, um, I would give them a list of photographers. They pick the one they like, and then they, I would say remix, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to remix oh, that's a good that one. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. What do yeah, you, yeah. you remix that idea. Um, so one of the challenges in one of my courses was talking about photography, portraiture, and social justice, right? I think as photographers, we have to start understanding the limitations of our medium. And how do you talk about something in terms of social justice through a portrait? How do you, mm. how do you talk about an experience of an individual and all you have is this limited space to do that and so um, in that particular assignment I would have my students looking at a variety of photographers who have used portraiture as a way to uplift but most importantly to talk about social issues within communities of color specifically so I gave this I provided this list and then the students would have to think about their own choices in terms of things they wanted to fight for, right? Uh, in terms of social injustice. And how do you translate that into a photograph? You know, it's interesting. I gave my students assignments that they worked on the entire semester. You know, I, I, this, this book, a performance review is 10 years worth mm. of work. And so when I tell my students, you're going to work on this the entire semester, you know? And they're like, what? No. Like, exactly, right? <laughs> but the idea is that these artists... Through, like you said earlier, these trials and errors have been able to create a portrait that spoke, that speaks to the injustice that they're going through. And I found that many of my students were fighting for something on campus. They were fighting for something in their lives. And so I wanted them to create a portrait that focused on the thing that they were fighting for the most. And so mm. unlike using these photographers as examples of remixing, use these photographers as inspiration because trust and believe, we don't we don't we think we're coming up with something new and you're like actually Lee, Lee Freelander did that about, I don't know, like, you know, six yeah. years, you know, 70 years, you know, however long, you know, so the idea and, and is that. And he's still doing it, by the way. Exactly, he's still doing it, exactly. So so that's the thing. It's like, um, so for me, giving them those artists to look at was ways in which to just kind of get their minds going in terms of the possibilities and how artists have used, like I said, this limitation in our mediums to create such a powerful impact by um, the photograph, by photograph yeah i mean that that's amazing uh i just learned listening to you so that's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> i love it i yeah. love it you know i um very early on you know when i gave semester-long projects or doc i do teach a documentary photo class at uh, documentary projects you know i was i was framing it like at the end of the semester they'd have this thing that was done mm -hmm. and if, i quickly realized that that was setting them up for failure yeah. right yeah. and and i i've i've I long ago changed it to Imagine this is the beginning of a project. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It's gonna it's gonna take you to the semester to begin the project. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You're gonna you're gonna find out what's not working. You're gonna change your mind about something. Um, all those things. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's a level of research that goes involved in making. I when I take my pictures and go into communities, there's some research I'm doing prior mm -hmm. to going in. So if I ask you to talk about an issue, especially a social justice issue, you have to do a little research on that issue first, right? <laughs> and you'll find when you research the other artists that they did a great deal of research themselves before they began their projects. Right. And and then, then the context and the times have changed exactly. uh, in the work that you're looking at. Context yes. is everything. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any final question? <laughs> any pro tips that you love? Any techniques? Any... Anything, I mean, like I said, I'm looking at the performance review, the lighting, the backdrops, the everything is so beautiful in that book. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I would just say, you know, I would say that you have to work through it. Like you're kind of mm. seeing this final product, but trust and believe there are over probably 200 photographs you'll never see. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know, um, and, Absolutely. And, and it's working through it. And you have to be open to the possibilities of whatever, 
right? Like really being open to the possibilities. You come in with one idea. It's not written in stone. Understanding that you're going to evolve, the work's going to evolve. It has to be fluid. And as long as it's fluid and you're excited about the possibilities of whatever, no expectations. Just this is, I'm going to do this because this is what I'm feeling in my spirit. Just do it. Mm-hmm. And and over the course of making the work, you'll figure out what you're trying to say. I always used to tell my students, I can teach you technical. I can teach you how to, to technically take a picture. I can teach you how to set your camera. I can teach you how to make your lighting great. You know, I can't teach you content. Mm. I can't teach you to take a risk. I can't teach you to be unapologetic about what you're doing and not give a damn what anybody thinks. Like, I can't Mm. teach you that, right? You have to own that in your heart. As I tell my students, we don't make work to please. We make it because it needs to be in the world. The world Mm. needs to see it, whether it's painful, whether it makes them uncomfortable, it's an emotion. And you want your, your artwork, your work to have that kind of meat on the bones to really stand for something, to have mass, to take up space, to be felt, right? And that takes time. So be patient and just be open, you know? Uh, when yeah. I worked in the community college, uh, there, was a, there was a woman, uh, Rose Harper Elder, who uh, was one of, she's an amazing woman, and uh, she guided me in many ways. And she said to me, India, and this was a long time ago, this was like before I went to grad school, but she said, you know, you're going to be successful. I don't, I don't question that. Like, you're going to be successful. And I was like, really? You know, <laughs> she's <laughs> like, but now is the time to learn. And I wrote that on the board of my first day at the community college with those students. Mm. I said, you're going to be successful. Just put that in the back of your mind, right? But now is the time to get all the tools, all the knowledge you need in order to implement that level of success. So that's my, I guess, a a good way to to end it. (laughs) That's amazing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to remember all of that. That is fantastic. Well, thank you very much. No, thank you. I appreciate it. This is all well worth the wait. Listen, listen. Um, yeah, I appreciate you allowing me to be here and talk about this. Yeah, my pl- absolutely my pleasure. Uh, all right. Well, thanks again, and uh, bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Real Photo Show with Michael Chauvin Dalton is a production of Real Photo Show, which you can listen to on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Stitcher, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.